Thanks for joining us now on KVCR for KVC Arts, arts and entertainment, as well as the people and places providing it. I'm David Fleming. On this edition of the program, it's music and conversation with Doug Levitt. He has a new album out May 12th called Edge of Everywhere, which is the culmination of over 10 years on a greyhound with over 10,000 miles traveled and the stories he collected along the way. Doug will join us in just a bit, but first, one of the tracks from Edge of Everywhere. Disaster can wait. And the fires are on the hillside. And the floods are from a rising tide. But I hate to blame you for it all. But the highs were paid for by the fall. Disaster Can Wait. What I got out of Disaster Can Wait, first of all, my only thought on this was, was this a song built around an expression? That's really my only thing on it, but it feels like that, because Disaster Can Wait, unless I really miss something there, you're talking about floods or rain or talking about various types of disaster. And it's almost kind of a, I could be with you, we could be happy, maybe disaster can wait, we can get a little bit more time. Talk to us about this, please. Yeah, that's kind of right. It's kind of make-believism on some level because disaster won't wait. Disaster doesn't wait. Disaster has no interest in our opinions at all, as we all know, and as we know as a collective culture and individually. And so to be pleading with disaster in any way, shape, or form is foolhardy. And so I think it's probably another example of these contradictory thoughts and images that rubbed up against one another help make the other side of the coin either more illuminated or more obvious in some ways because it's impossible. And of course, disaster shows up in so many varied forms. I mean, you were talking about the weather and different disasters of those sorts. There, of course, the pandemic and the economic effects of that. But even with the pandemic, I mean, I think there are a lot of examples of people who are like, oh, well, I reconnected with my ex-wife or I reconnected with my passion or I'm now able to work from home more so I can see, hang out with my dog or be with my kids more, see more of their lives. So there is a flip side to most stories and that's especially obvious for me on the Greyhound because so many stories can be so grave and they can be so difficult and the struggle so deep that when you find these glimmers of people finding greater sense of self or their path then that strikes as something true much more broadly as well. Okay. The first thing I carried was spray paint cans Graffiti was my thing 
They put me in a pen, I met a drug lord and then He asked me if I'd bring Drugs, guns, people from the border I can make 30,000 on an order But I'm on my way to turn myself in federal prison I'm turning myself in tired of running Turning myself in it's about a man turning himself in to federal prison I think he violated parole he smoked some weed or something like that but now he and his wife very Christian they want to show their daughters how to live up to one's mistakes. So my question is, did you actually meet this guy when he was on his way to turn himself in? Yes, I did. I did. It was in Amarillo, Texas at like four in the morning. And like, I don't smoke cigarettes, but like on the bus, I'll smoke cigarettes because it's kind of a social thing to do. And he was like, this is my last cigarette probably before I turn myself in. His story, it's one of these things where he had been a graffiti artist. They put him in jail, and when he was in jail, there was a guy who was like, hey, man, would you like to earn, like, $30,000 in, like, a week running drugs and guns from the border? He got caught. He served his time. And then he violated parole because he was going through a breakup. He smoked weed, and so he went on the run. He ended up in Wisconsin outside of Green Bay, like an hour outside of Green Bay, working on a cow farm. And so where he used to be making money, I mean, all moral judgment aside, which obviously exists in this case of what he had been doing earlier, he used to make a lot of money. And then he was making about, you know, $100, $120 a day. But he loved it. He loved working on the cow farm, and he met his wife. She was real Christian, and he became real Christian too, even though I mean, he was Christian, but he became more devout. And they had daughters there, and they just decided together that they wanted to show the kids the importance of living up to your mistakes. So he traveled from Wisconsin on the Greyhound and was in Amarillo, Texas, and I think he was going to Livingston. He gave me his information, you know, his email, and I just recently tried to email him. It's just an incredible moment of turning himself in. I mean, because you don't, right. what's going to happen? I mean, it could yeah. be that, you know, he's now reassociated with all these other folks or he ends up gang related. You just don't mm-hmm. know how the story is going to really turn out. But he didn't want to be living on the run. And so that's what they decided. And, you know, her family thought he was courageous to be doing it. His wife did. And, you know, you can only hope that he was able to serve whatever that period of time for violating parole and then get about rebuilding and building on his life. So we don't know the follow-up on this guy yet. That's the thing oh with, with so many, like in the case of Tony Rhodes, like I know because we've been in touch. And so I've seen his life where he is now. But... In so many stories, you just don't know. It's a snapshot in time. And people are just not as dialed in, you know, in terms of 
contacts or somebody will give you a phone number and it turns out, you know, it's a burner phone, you know, it's just a prepaid thing. And yet it doesn't make it any less true. Like there's a song back in Okima. Yes, yes. And this is about a woman who returned home to Okima, Oklahoma, which is also the hometown of Woody Guthrie. Mm -hmm. She was returning home to open a coffee shop. And this was what she wanted to do with her life. And her mom had passed away. And this was a way of keeping her memory present. And the song says, back in Okima, I'm back in Okima to stay. And I know from being in touch with Sherry that her son, who has cerebral palsy, was in Fort Smith, which is not too far from Okima, Oklahoma, but there was maltreatment in the group home that he was in. So then in order to take care of him, they now had to kind of pull up sticks for the moment, or at least who knows how long, in Okima and head to Fort Smith, which is not what they had planned. But the song is no less true, and they may end up going back to Okima. And also COVID came, and Mm, so that affected their business too. But it's no less true. So even though it's a snapshot in time, and so each journey by Greyhound, you're getting to know somebody. And sometimes somebody's story or where they're coming from is like a slow reveal to a story because it might be over days where it's like it's 5.30 a.m. and we're outside a jack-in-the-box in Arkansas and we're in our pre-dawn meal stop. And then now we're in a station later on or a bus breaks down and we're on by the side of the road and I'm playing for folks. And then part of the story comes out that way. And But it's still a snapshot in time. And that's really all we have anyway in mm-hmm. life. Yeah. It's a real metaphor for what we think is going to happen. I remember after my father died, a friend of his started the eulogy by saying, life can only be understood backwards. He was quoting the philosopher Kierkegaard, and he went and told the story of my father and how they met and the families and so forth. And then at the end, he said, as I recall, what Kierkegaard said was that life can only be understood backwards. The problem is it must be lived forwards. Ooh. And that, you know, we may not understand this day for a long time or ever, but maybe, maybe, you know, in some kind of warmer light of retrospect, some of this might make some more sense. And that truism of that space between our understanding of our own life and our living of our own life and the gap is just a universal truth for everyone. Mm. Wow. I kind of wish I'd read more Kierkegaard and Les Hegel. Uh, this point. But, okay. I told you I said <laughs> if, 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 yeah if it's a pop-up book I like pop-up uh, philosophy books yeah. <laughs> a hundred thousand miles all merging to one running to ourselves in this life on the run Stretches of life shed down these stretches of road light in the way they light on the low oh, oh, oh. out of the desert and into the into the 
highway signs. Is this a story told to you, or is this one your own reflection? That's my own story. Okay. That's I my own story. story. Yeah, it's really about how, kind of what we're talking about, how we kind of get tips and clues as to our own lives from other people, and sometimes complete strangers, and sometimes complete strangers in passing. And even though I kind of set out to maybe shed light on others struggling to get by, what I came to realize is that actually that I was on some kind of healing research project or something, mm -hmm. you know, kind of sure. some kind of quest to understand. But I certainly didn't think that that's what I was doing. <laughs> and for a long time, I didn't think that's what I was doing, even though I was learning from people all around me. And, you know, in this time of disconnection and mm. cold screens, you know, it's a very cold medium screens, you know, iPads and phones, sure. and that kind of thing. And when you're just talking to somebody, you're in their midst, and there is this, I think there's this, this is above my pay grade in the science realm, but I think like oxytocin or one of these hormones or again, above my pay grade. But <laughs> you get this feeling of, oh, that bonding and that connection are part of something bigger. And in a way it's a problem because I don't know how I'll end up ending this project mm, in a sense. Right. Like, you know, I'm getting back on the bus in like 10 days and at some point it's got at some point it's got to end <laughs> but one it's something that I feel connected to and that I feel is important and then it's obviously for me endlessly interesting the people that you meet and so you know it's onward we go for some time I think yeah. these listening to KVC Arts on 91.9 KVCR, also at kvcrnews.org. I'm David Fleming in conversation with Doug Levitt. His album Edge of Everywhere is out May 12th and is a collection of stories turned into song from and about people he met while traveling on a Greyhound for just over a decade. When you started on the bus, was it at one point just your intention to go play in places across the United States? Or was it your intent to begin with to gather stories and turn them into song? I think I was just planning to... No, I think I was planning to do both. Okay. Because I returned home to the States, and I was really struck as well by just the level of inequality. Mm. And I thought, well, what could I do about it? And, you know, of course, what can anybody really mm. do about that? Yeah. So, but I thought, well, maybe is there a way of doing a little bit more than nothing for me? And I thought, well, maybe this is something I could do. I could travel around, try to depict or render the experience of other folks along the way, and then be performing. So I had the idea in my mind of what I was thinking about doing, but then actually that's what I ended up doing. And that didn't mean like 
this is all fluid, you know, or that I wasn't dealing with my own self-doubt or demons or depression or all of that was part of it too. And then sometimes I would be really in a state, like in a kind of PTSD-ish state. Mm, okay. And then somebody would just pull me out of it just by, you know, talking. And I would be, I would just be, be grateful. And then next thing you know, I'm talking to somebody. <laughs> I know that sounds really silly, but I do find that connection is, for me at least, probably the best antidepressive or anti-anxiety agent. Wow. Talking about highway signs a moment ago, there's a really cool video on this. I mean, really cool. This is It's a series of ink wash drawings fading into one another, and the lyrics appear sometimes. Going to Tennessee, and it's going up the hill. I remember that. Who did the art, and whose concept on this one as well? You know, it's a brilliant woman named Romy Bianchi. I had seen her work, and she had done another lyric video for me. And then she had this idea for this. And so she took images of mine that I've taken on the bus mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. And then she turned them into these illustrations. And you're right. It's like an ink wash animation. You're yeah. Right. Oh, it's just totally cool. And I, I had actually gone through all of these songs just listening to them. It wasn't until, <laughs> you know... It wasn't until I went to YouTube to try to find a picture of you and more specifically a picture of that Gibson. Mm. Because just in case you didn't bring your guitar, I put out a call on Facebook. Does anybody by chance own an old beat up Gibson J100? And I haven't heard anything back. <laughs> but I went looking for the specific one to see whether, oh, did you have the walnut? Did you, was it the jumbo? Was it, you know, whatever? So yeah. well, that's where I ended up finding even a string of videos. And so I ended up watching this one for Highway Signs. And I just love that type of thing. And really, really cool on that one. I was always living Wrong then, right and back again If I hadn't got out, it wasn't a matter of if but when. Son, I'd do anything for you. That's why I'm a two-week warrior. Daddy, I'm rich I said, son, if we were rich We wouldn't be riding On a greyhound At 3 a.m. South Philly bound I am a better dad If I'm a better I'm a better man Far from the streets Where I ran I would do anything For you That's why I'm a two-week 
warrior. Something about highway signs, which actually leads me to talking about two-week warrior. This is something I'm guilty of asking quite often. I mentioned sequencing. I'm curious if two-week warrior was written to be the closer because a highway signs really could have capped off this collection quite nicely the way it's talking about this journey of self-discovery here and almost starting it with you ending it with you i don't know there's a nice book ending quality somewhere in there but there is a line in here which makes it clear that this is someone you met or witnessed on the greyhound i think they're even talking about sitting next to me on the greyhound i think but what is a two-week warrior i don't know if he ever says does he do you So Jay is a guy who I met in the bowels of Port Authority in New York at really also like around three in the morning. And he had his pajama clad, maybe eight year old son, maybe seven. So cute. Aiden. And, you know, like the onesie pajamas. And Jay, he would travel from Philadelphia to Connecticut every two weeks Mm. and take his son because he grew up in the streets of Philadelphia and he kind of was hanging around the wrong dudes and all this. And he had his son and he realized that if I get away from some of these influences and these people who I'm hanging out with and running with in the streets, then I may see my son a little bit less, but I'm going to be a better father because of it. Mm. I'll be a better role model. I'll be, I'll be a better man. And therefore, you know, a better father. And so he was taking this trip every two weeks. And then I did remember somebody many years ago just sort of describing, I guess, being a co-parent, you know, a parent, co-parent or something. And I think they at that point sort of described themselves as like a two-week warrior. And that was, you know, years ago. But then I thought, oh, Jay and this trip, you know, every two weeks to be with his son, and that really reflected the same idea. So you're right, it's a shortened, pared-down bookend to the project, but because it gets back to somebody other than myself, Mm. and also it's just one guitar and voice, that I think it pulls everything back and down to its purest form of just one voice, one person, and one guitar. So I think that that was the idea behind closing the record with it. Oh, beautiful. It gives you that moment to just sigh. I mean, just going from, even just from the thicker textures to the thinner textures, as you were just implying. Right. And the thing about that guitar, and I'm sorry Mm -hmm. I don't have it today because it's just, (laughs) it's getting like a the technical it had the, the pickup <laughs> it's really not interesting it just had the to be guitar, something had the, to be tightened something not the guitar tech the guitar <laughs> yeah that's right. right that's right that's right Dave so <laughs> although I don't know so that guitar has been with me this entire journey and I'm convinced and I, it's not even convinced I know that that guitar as a result of all of the vibrations of the bus Mm. Mm -hmm. you know bouncing up and down and guitars are living things i mean even though the wood is not on a tree it's still a living breathing instrument and so it has become more resonant and more 
round and even though the sides of it have been repaired from <laughs> you know being beaten up it really carries the miles in it and also because it's a jumbo acoustic that is it just don't tell anybody this <laughs> but it just barely fits like you have to kind of know how to get it in above the seats so it's like a built-in <laughs> security <laughs> You know, because nobody could figure out how to get it out. <laughs> so it's like you got to kind of. So that's been one advantage of it, too. Travel hacks. Excellent. <laughs> that's right. The story of your travels and what would become Edge of Everywhere. This was captured on a BBC documentary, and I understand that there are a couple more in the works for BBC TV and radio. How did at least the first one, or these ones coming up, how did this begin for you? Who called who? You know, I met a guy who ran BBC radio, sort of, I guess, news and long form or something, at a retreat that Steve Earle was having. Oh, cool. Um, Love Steve. Yeah. And so it grew out of that. And so then, you know, I was obviously, I was in touch with him and over time, and then they offered to do it, and then... The TV people had heard the radio thing, and then they wanted to do something. So that's kind of how it came about. And I've spent some time in the UK. Not only do I love the UK, and because I lived there for five years, but also for Americana music, it's a very good place as well. And then I've had people who should have no reason to be <laughs> involved with me, but who have kind of taken me under their wing. And that includes like a booking agent who has you know, like Steve Earle and, and Lou Harris and other luminaries. And so, you know, anybody who likes me, I'll just show up, you know, anywhere, anyhow. But yeah, that's how the BBC connection came about. been music and conversation with Doug Levitt for the entirety of this edition of KVC Arts. We've been hearing mainly about his new release, Edge of Everywhere. That's out May 12th. But go to YouTube for a few videos and singles out from it already. Also more at douglevitt.com. L-E-V-I-T-T, douglevitt.com. There is also an extended conversation which, while it does stand alone, is truly the rest of the conversation you heard here at kvcrnews.org slash arts. Thanks again to Doug Levitt, and here at KVCR, thanks to Lillian Vasquez, Rick Dulock, Sharina Wad, Paulina Garcia, and Layla Boyd. Find many past KVC Arts via podcasts through iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, and Google Play. And most past shows are at kvcrnews.org slash arts. I'm David Fleming. Thanks especially to you for listening and for your support. Oh.